the amount of thermostats I had to help program over the phone was insane. <laughs> I had dreams about these systems for many, many years of how to program certain thermostats. Thankfully, I'm really happy that I can't do them anymore. <laughs> oh, so it's it's like a trauma. It's now blocked forever. It is. It's a complete trauma. Having to sit forever programming these really old, complicated thermostats over the phone was a nightmare. Hello, welcome to Detouring, a podcast about people who've changed their careers. My name is Thiago and I'm your host. Today I'm speaking with Sam, who used to be an educator and now is a marketeer. Uh, yeah, so I'm Sam. I qualified as a secondary school art teacher and then I am now a marketing uh, manager and analyst in the uh, technical industry, basically. So is your, your background in art and... Or... Yeah, I did a degree in photography and then from there I went and did my PGCE, which was basically the top up year uh, where you learn obviously on site and then went from there really. So you're quite into photography, I would say. Uh, I am. The ironic thing is when I did the degree, I then lost the passion for it because when you do something for so long and you're doing it part of a course and you're having to meet deadlines and stuff, you can lose that joy <laughs> a little bit. So I didn't pick up a camera for quite a while, but I'm getting back out there. So I'm quite enjoying it again. Keep it as a hobby, Tom. Yeah, keep it as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you kind of lost a passion for it. And that, that's why you decided to do some teaching instead. Not quite. It, uh, the teaching came about because of my own education system where I, where I went through before I got into photography as a, as a degree. I found there was a lot of stuff lacking that I didn't get when I was at school that I kind of needed for mm -hmm. my degree or further education elements of it. And I also thought there was a lot more opportunity for people to know that there's more to art than being able to draw. Um, there's a lot of other mediums out there that you can utilise. So I kind of went in from that standpoint just to kind of give an education that I didn't get so that other people could get it before they got to my point. So they're a bit more prepared. Mm, I understand. Like, like, I can't draw to save my life. Uh, my, my sister, who's very artistic, she makes fun of me every time I try to draw something. Somehow their heads always look like a piece of garlic. She calls my, my little drawings the garlic heads. But it's not your only way to express creativity. Exactly. So that's what you want yeah. to fix. Yeah, so there's there's like things like, you know, I'm not great at drawing, but I'm really good at cross-stitch. Mm -hmm. So I can still create a visually pleasing piece of work can express whatever I'm trying to do but I just use a different medium for it and I think a lot especially in the education system at the younger end of the spectrum there's not really this understanding that to be art or an, art or an artist doesn't mean that you have to just use one medium mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people think that that is the case so I kind of wanted to go in and kind of go no you can do this instead. So what did you find did you manage to achieve that did you manage to go in and change the curriculum? <laughs> <laughs> the curriculum's kind of stuck there. Um, no, but I kind of helped and mentored, you know, some kids that were, you know, struggling to get, you know, understand that they can try something else. And it's also with that, it's also, there isn't a right or wrong answer. You know, you can try something and if it doesn't work, don't just screw, screw it up and throw it away. Mm -hmm. Learn from it, put it in, kind of go, well, this is why it didn't work. Now I'm going to try this because of that. And there was one girl that I was, I was had the pleasure of teaching and I helped her kind of go through a coursework. And once I explained that, she kind of really got into it and she was trying different things. She was trying different materials and she was really getting into it, which was great. She actually came out with an A star at the end, at GCC, mm. so, um, which is all down to her. I'm not taking any credits for that. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's that, it's that kind of going in and I managed to kind of at least change a couple of kids' mindsets that it's not wrong to do a mistake. 
Hmm. If you can identify that mistake, you can do better on the next one. Yeah. And it's that kind of, you know, learn from that. Don't just scroll up and think that you failed. It's 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 not that kind of approach. It's like, yeah, you can get it wrong the first time. Does it doesn't mean that in anything you do, you can't then change and improve. Right. Okay, so just I think I got a bit of ahead of myself here, but what was what was involved in um, in that in that role then? A lot of stress. Okay. <laughs> It, it was it, there was a lot going on. So you, well, I was doing the uh, the course. So you had all your course elements that you had to do. So you had two uh, master essays you had to write. You had a book system with a bunch of like smaller essays that you had to write, and then big research piece. And then you had all your teaching on on top of that. So that was uh, developing scheme of work, which is basically like a full course essentially. So you'd have all your lesson plans, you'd have all your teacher examples of all the different stages so the kids could see what to do. And then when you had all that created, then you'd go in and you'd basically do the class and then you'd mark everything and you'd basically just keep going. And I have utmost respect for teachers. <laughs> it's just like, it is, it's a lot of work. I don't think anybody really realizes what goes into it especially where there's examples needed. It's not just like a maths class, and I'm not saying maths teachers have it easier because they don't, but in the sense of where you have to prepare stuff, if you're doing a completely new scheme of work, you've got to prepare all of that. So there's a lot more there than would normally be known. So average day, that would that'd be basically it. You know, make sure you've got your lesson plans written. If you haven't, you'd be writing the next lot. You'd be differentiating. So, you know, if you've got kids that are as you know, as confident, you'd be making sure that they're catered for as well as the kids that are, you know, exceedingly talented and everybody in between as well. So yeah, it was it was it was good because I got to see all the kids and them grow, but yeah. I think especially when you're a kid, you think, oh, being teacher is probably the best job because uh, you get the holidays as well. And you know, that's quite false because the holidays you spend preparing the next period. <laughs> you do, yeah. I mean people say, Oh you get six weeks off and it's just like you don't because you're in the last a week after everybody's gone tidying up and sorting out and getting what you can prepare then you're off for a little bit and then you're starting to plan again so it's it's not teachers really don't get as much time off as you as you think i am not a teacher but i i do a lot of talks and i do a lot of mentoring like code stuff for kids <laughs> and it's easy when you've already got something uh, to follow, like a template to follow or something that you did in the past that you can just spruce it up a bit, it becomes easier. Yep. Yeah, definitely. But it's not, it's not easy because I've, I've had to prepare some things from scratch and you spend days on it and then it's over in half an hour. Yep. And teachers have to have classes sometimes like twice a week or something for like 90 minutes or whatever. I'm, I'm not from the UK and my classes were like 90 minutes long. I don't know as that unless you've got a double period. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. We, we, we used to have single periods and double periods, and then there's this lava that came in. Everything is just double periods. Oh, well. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it kind of flowed better because you don't have mm. a break in the middle to, to ruin things. Just my opinion. Anyway, yep. imagine preparing something that has to last for that long, and sometimes you, you've got... I don't know if you if you have this but sometimes like different classes progress at different rhythms and some of them might yeah. be ahead of the other ones and you can't just prepare it for one and just give it to all of them yeah so that's the differentiation part that we have to plan for so you, you'll have like your low achievers your normal and then obviously your high achievers mm -hmm. uh, schools call them all different things but that's essentially what it is um so you have to every lesson that you plan you have to make sure that you've got that in there 
and that's for any kind of class you yeah know, that's art that's english that's science that you you name it you've got it yeah yeah uh, like i've got a little bit of window to look at these things through my the the code things that i do with the kids yep there were these two girls who were super good they would get things like like that and i would give an exercise for them like a tutorial for them all to 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 do and have to prepare like two more for them because they were really 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 good they would get uh, yep. things super instantly um whereas you know some other kids you have to you know sometimes help them type things out because they're still not very used to a computer because they're, you know they're very very small kids yeah I i'm gonna ask something that probably i shouldn't ask Go on. i always felt like teachers had the favorites no I, i tried not to have favorites um i also tried not to listen to the comments of other teachers i let whatever child that happened to be to come into the class and create their own space and their own personality without a bias already there So obviously, you know, you've always got a kid that's slightly, you know, misbehaves in a different class. Mm -hmm. But there might be a reason why they're misbehaving in that class, that they're struggling with it, they don't fully understand what's going on. Whatever reason, you know, it might be that it's the first class of the day and they've not had a good night's sleep. There's a lot of factors that you have to take into consideration. So when I had, obviously, the teachers telling me about these more misbehaving kids, I deliberately tried not to put any kind of pretense onto them. Uh, I let them grow within that class and for me that they were fine they were great now obviously with art like i said there's no right or wrong answer mm -hmm. so i think that probably helps with it but i always try to make sure that they knew that i wasn't going in and going oh you misbehave or anything like that i took their behavior as it was there and then mm -hmm. i tried not to have favorites but i will be honest sometimes i did like certain kids more than others but that's just because they might have had a nice character or personality that just you know you, you can laugh and just enjoy like you would with anybody that you work with even yeah. now but no I, i tried not to <laughs> <laughs> i deliberately tried not to i think we're going on a bit of a tangent but how <laughs> how did you deal with um with those kids that were a bit more difficult i'm, I'm asking I... this because i do have a kid in one of the coding things that i do who's a little bit energetic i would say Okay, so it's, it's getting them to focus. Mm. So if they're, they're energetic, either chatty or whatever, it's just forcing them to focus. So it might be that you just need to keep refocusing them back down to what they need to be doing. The way I used to do that was I'd just walk past the desk and just kind of look down and go, how are you getting on? And it just forced them just to re-look re down to where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. It happens, you know, I, even now I get like that myself where I'll just be like, oh, there's over here. And it's just like, I'm not actually doing what I need to be doing. Uh, <laughs> you sound like you, you were a cool teacher. Why, why, why'd you change? Stress and many other things. <laughs> There wasn't that many art jobs available. Mm -hmm. I am going to be completely honest with you. I don't know how I survived in the PGC. It is a complete blur now. <laughs> really, I don't know how I survived it. It was, it was very stressful. And I just needed a job, so I went and just got a job, which happened to be in sales at the time down in London. So I, I kind of just changed for those reasons. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stress. They were changing the whole... I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I really did enjoy it. It was just a lot of stress. And then obviously I went in, I needed a job because my mum had a rule of 25 and out, which means you're 25 years old and you're not allowed to be in the house anymore. <laughs> which is quite a good rule because then, you know, she had four kids, so it's like it was all out. Uh, so I needed a job and I just happened to fall into the sales role that I got in mm -hmm. London. And I think from that, I learned that your job doesn't have to be that stressful. Life doesn't have to be that stressful. 
I think I always said that if whatever job I happen to be in is more stressful than what I was when I was teaching, I'd go back into teaching because at least then I felt like I was getting some kind of reward in the sense of your sense of satisfaction because at least I'd be helping kids, you know, Mm -hmm. develop and grow. So, yeah. So sales, you just fell into sales, like parachuted out of nowhere. Uh, Well, (laughs) a little bit. Uh, So I used to obviously work during obviously uni holidays and stuff like that. So I've worked in like call centers and I've worked in pharmaceutical factories and I've, I've, I've done a lot of like summer jobs. And this was a place that my sister was working at and there was a role coming up that she needed to fill her role so she could progress in the company to another role, mm-hmm. but she needed to fill that role. So she dragged me down for an interview and they gave me an interview and happened to get the job that way. So it was basically just sales on, on the phone, you know, uh, sales support, basically an office for um, another floor heating company where loads of reps are out on this thing. You've got loads of like uh, stores that will sell your product as well that need support. Then got a role within that same company that because I liked their CRM system and I managed to kind of like because I'm a bit of a nerd and I like looking at stuff and how stuff works. Um, it's just my interest. It's like once you can figure out how something works, you can utilize it better. Mm-hmm. And because of that, a role came up in the marketing department as their CRM campaign manager uh, exec. So I transferred and got that job, interviewed for it and got the job and went from there, really. Your, your first bit was sales, like you said, over the phone, like a sales support. Yep. Can you just explain exactly what it is? Basically, it's people that, you know, would phone up, they've got a question, they might usually have a technical thing. It's just like, I've got this, but I'm not sure if it works for whatever my space or whatever they want in, really. That's obviously off the back of what the marketing team's done in terms of obviously getting an awareness of the company and the product, mm-hmm. which then results in obviously coming through. So basically, you'd, you'd basically answer the questions, you'd do quotes for them, you'd advise them where you could, you know, you'd give them technical help. The amount of thermostats I had to help program over the phone was insane. (laughs) I had dreams about these systems for many, many years of how to program certain thermostats. Thankfully, I'm really happy that I can't do them anymore. (laughs) Oh, so it's it's like a trauma. It's now blocked forever. It is. It's a complete trauma. Having to sit forever programming these really old, complicated thermostats over the phone was a nightmare. So like, yeah, every day different. Oh, gosh, you would. <laughs> Did your family come up to you and say, oh, I've got this problem with my thermostat? No. So uh, because my sister was in the same company, my stepdad was as well. He was actually one of the sales reps. Um, so thankfully, nobody asked me for that help. <laughs> so you got traumatized by the thermostats and then you decided, I'm going to look at the CRM and I'm going to be all over this. Yeah, so there was a few kind of initiatives in inside. So I'm quite efficient in terms of how I work. So my times, I usually have like time to spare a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, so I usually then take that time to then go figure something else out, as you probably know now. Yes. Of what I'm like. <laughs> I, I go learn something. So the CRM system, which is the um, customer relationship management system, a lot of people had a lot of problems with. There weren't many people in the in the company that really knew how to make it work. So I kind of learned how to do it just so that I didn't have to keep asking these three people in the company how to do something or to get something out of it, mm-hmm. which then obviously made me even more efficient because then I could get everything I needed out of it and off I ran. Because of that, and obviously they kind of needed someone in the market team that could actually do this. <laughs> it was a bit more <laughs> technical and knew what to do with it. I got invited across and I started doing their email campaigns through it and everything like that. So then someone left in the department and then I became like POS as well, which is point of sale. So stuff when you go into a shop 
and you see it on the counter or you see little adverts everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, little signs and stickers. That's what they call POS, which is point of sale. Uh, I say it's funny because I just interviewed somebody who used to be in, mar uh, in marketing. He used to do the email campaigns as well, and then he, he changed to another career. And now you are the opposite. You were used to something else, and now and then you started doing these things. Do you want to explain a little bit what it's like? You know, you craft an email, you send it out to people, and somehow that is meant to get people's name out there. Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways you can get your name out there. So you've probably heard us talk about, like, exposure and that kind of thing. You've probably heard things where, you know, voice of the market, you know, portion of the market voice. And there's, there's loads of ways you can do it. So obviously certain things are triggered by what someone else might be looking at. So if they come to the website, we can then retarget them on social media, for example. Mm -hmm. So if they've not engaged with us, or I asked for demos like that, or bought the product, but they've tootled off, but they came to the website in the first place, we can then retarget with an advert. Now, they may have come to the website based off many different reasons. It might be an email that they've seen. It might be a tweet or a paid advertisement that they've seen. It might have been a poster on a bus stop. It could be... Uh, obviously there's not so much these days with that because obviously nobody's really going outside <laughs> <laughs> it could it could, it could be basically anything a leaflet through your door which will call direct mail mm -hmm. it could be anything that it could be a fleeting glance that you don't realize but until you suddenly go oh I, i'm looking for x you'll suddenly kind of vaguely remember the name of it mm -hmm. the main thing that you can get exposure is is uh, SEO, which is search engine optimization of your website. So if someone types into Google, let's, let's be honest, we, we all Google. Um, <laughs> nobody's really using Bing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not search engine optimization. It's Google optimization. Basically, yeah, for the most part. And they keep changing their ways of what they want to do. So if you've optimized your website to the right keywords that they're searching for, you've got ranking for that. You've got, obviously, you know, usefulness of that your page that goes to that question or whatever they're looking for they'll come onto your page they'll see it so the aim is obviously to be on the first page mm -hmm. right at the top getting there is quite a challenge sometimes because google keeps changing its algorithm <laughs> I, I think it makes sense because you know otherwise like everyone is trying to do this right yep everybody's trying to do this exactly some somebody's got to win somehow i, I suppose mm -hmm. there might be some factors of you know you, you search for these things and wherever people click that gets counted so maybe if somebody has seen an advert or they know that thing already then they're more likely to click and that makes them higher so it's kind of like the richer get richer a little bit yeah yeah so the more market budget you've got the more market you can do the more market you can do the more exposure you can do the more exposure you have the more likely you get into people's heads which means they come to you and look for you which then gives you sales and it yeah. goes into this little cycle if you're not getting the people through the door your budget doesn't go up in marketing usually you get it cut <laughs> right <laughs> and then you're basically trying to do a lot of stuff for free as much as you possibly can which is always a challenge but if you're up for a challenge marketing's definitely the kind of area to be in really if that's what you kind of want you want something that's not the same every day marketing's pretty much it you're never going to do the same thing twice so that's all the things that you were doing at this was it a heater company, you said? Yeah, it's Underflow Heating. Underflow Heating. So you were doing this for them. Yep. And you quite enjoyed it. And that's why you decided to stay the course. This is what I want to do. Yeah, I kind of did. It was, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, my, my family mocks me for this sometimes where they just laugh. And like, I like organization. I like knowing how something works. I want to make something better. 
And marketing is one of those things that you can get instant feedback, essentially. Really? Yeah, so you can send out an email, for example. And if they open it, click it, or spam you, you've got instant feedback. Okay. So if you've got someone clicking and opening and clicking your email, you know that you've landed what you needed to land. Now, the aim then is obviously to increase that percentage. So you want to make it even better. You want to target more people. You want to target the right people. And that's going to give you more feedback, which is where my analytical side comes in, because I then look at what's working and what's not. And then I can segment everybody down and know who to target again. <laughs> See, Tiago, it's like the world. <laughs> so this, this is where all the, the whole thing about personas comes in. And... Yeah, this is where all that comes in. And, you know, your ideal customer persona, you know, that goes from like size to location to, you know, funding status to employee number. Mm. Something as small as that that you wouldn't really think about actually does have an impact. And also industry. So basically you can get instant feedback from that. Now you've got other stuff that obviously you don't get instant feedback from. So that's usually like your adverts. Mm-hmm. which you've got to kind of plant the seed and it's an awareness campaign sometimes or it might have a direct thing or you know stuff for them to download like white papers and ebooks and which is more engagement stuff so yeah that's good stuff there's lots of challenges yeah it, it sounds I, i'm gonna be honest we've got somebody who works at our company that calls marketing the coloring department that kind of sticks in your head and you know just speaking to you is like this is a lot more interesting than i even thought this is like Playing with data, which I love. this It's my favorite thing in the world. Uh, that's why I work for a data company. Yep. And trying to segment all these people, trying to understand what the hell they're thinking about or what they're doing. That is super interesting. You know, I've been trying to make you a developer, but maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> I'm allowed to stay where I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I think marketing is going on me. Yes. But yeah, we, we do get... And it's not just our company that... Um, I've had you know, the color running department. And sometimes when I have at the previous company, someone has actually, a senior has actually come and said to me, oh, I could do that. That's, that's really easy what you're doing. And I've actually called the bluff and I said, go for it. <laughs> it's like, if you think you can do it, go for it. Because I was really short-staffed at this point, by the way. I was like, there's two of us in the department then as well. After a while, when you hear it so often that, oh, it's easy, your job doesn't really take anything, there's no skill to it, there's no, you know, intelligence behind it, there's, there's no thought process. It's just like, well... Give it a shot. You know, see if you do think that. I mean, this company's okay. I'm, I'm happy with these guys. You guys don't don't say we really have to. <laughs> and you appreciate the stuff and you do. Like you said, you, you can see what we do. But yeah, no, we you do get that a lot in marketing, unfortunately. So it's, it's going with a thick skin. Mm. I think part of the problem is you're used to getting marketing campaigns in your email and whatnot. And you think, ah, they, you know, just throw this together. But I know... There's a lot of thinking that goes into the text. Sometimes like the wording, like one word can change the tone and make people more likely to engage with something or not. And and then you never know. You have to have kind of like, sometimes you set up like A-B tests to see whether people respond more to one thing to, to the other. I know there's a lot of work that goes into this sort of thing. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's the opposite of programming, I think. Programming, people think, oh, it's super complicated. I couldn't do that. But it's a lot easier than people think. Then you have these other skilled jobs, which people think, ah, I could do that in in my sleep. But everyone can do something badly. Yep. It takes a lot of effort to do something very well. Yeah. uh, I mean, I I don't have any formal qualification in marketing. And some people say, oh, you have to have a formal qualification. to go, no, you don't. In my case, it was being in a different role and seeing... A requirement for myself but then also identifying where that requirement could be used elsewhere in the company mm-hmm. and then going for it 
and then learning on the job. Now, there isn't anything wrong about learning on the job. And that's what I probably don't feel like, you know, you can go to uni, you can get the degree. But a lot of the time when you do do that, you've only got the theory, you've not got the practical. Now, with marketing, you learn on the job because sometimes something that would hit in the, you know, land and say it would land in the book doesn't land in reality because there'll be some cultural thing that's going on, like a pandemic, for example. (laughs) <laughs> which meant that everybody that would usually do advertisement like at bus stops and you know well it was pointless nobody was going out mm-hmm. so you, everybody had to move to digital which is where then everybody's got now got loads of digital adverts going on there's one thing to do a course on it and then which gives you the basics but don't be scared to go into this and learn on the job yeah i think there's also another thing which is every industry is very different and there isn't a playbook that fits all of them and there isn't a playbook for each one of them you might be yep. in the super niche market where things... Uh, I, 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 I'm saying this because in my previous role, I used to do usability research. And some things we saw for customers that were the worst ideas anyone could ever do, they were 100% correct for another one. Yep. There is no one size fits all. And there, there is no... I think you can have some heuristics, some, some like thumb rules... But you have to put them to the test and practice, practice, practice. Yeah, learn learn from what you're doing. Do research where you can because someone out there will have been in your industry and will know something. So, you know, you don't have to reinvent the entire world. But a lot of the stuff that you, even when you're moving from industry to industry, there'll be like a baseline that'll be always kind of the same. But mm-hmm. your tone, your messaging and your channel might completely change. It will change. <laughs> You can't use the same messaging for one for another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about the, the, the personas that you're serving to, catering to, mm-hmm. are completely different yeah. sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. So is that when you worked, came to work for us? Like when you changed? Or... Uh, no, uh, I then went to <laughs> Campaign for Real Ale, uh, which is a member-led basically campaign thing that we see campaigns for real ale and real cider in mm-hmm. pubs and the usage within the, the industry, basically. And I was their events marketer. So I did the advertisement and the event stuff for their beer festivals, but their flagship ones. So they're the Great British Beer Festival in London. So I was there for a bit within that industry, which again, completely different to underfloor heating. Had to learn a lot new stuff because obviously I couldn't market the same way I would because I wouldn't know who would want to buy a ticket. So mm-hmm. I had to advertise like on the tube, for example. You know, because that's where, you know, the most footfall would be. I had to pick the right times of the year and the week to advertise in those spaces because it wasn't cheap, but you had to make sure you had to pick the right locations. And I did that. And then I went from there to a, went back into the construction industry, but on a different side of it where I went into the certification of products. So in the UK, you have to have your products certified to be able to use it in the UK. Okay. How, How does that relate to marketing then? If you're a manufacturer and you've got a product, Okay, there's certain regulations it has to meet before it can go into the market. So if it's an electric product, for example, you have to meet certain electrical requirements. Um, It has to be tested and certified so that when someone comes to use that product, they know that it's met all the standards it needs to meet. And that's where the company I was with was one of those companies that would certify, test it and could audit as well. Okay. So you, you marketed the services? I marketed the services, yeah. Okay, so hold on. You did marketing for a physical product, then you did yep. marketing for events, and now marketing yep. for services, service. Yep. and then marketing for a digital product? Yep. Okay, those sounds 
completely different. <laughs> so how are they different? Like we talked about a bit about the the personas and etc. But I mean, obviously, there's something about the thing that you're marketing that must yeah, be. Yeah. So for the certification company, it had to be a lot more technical. So there'd be like this, the technical guys of companies and products and things like this, the product technical managers and this kind of thing. So the type of writing and type of thing that you do would be a lot more technical. We also did a lot more with government policy. So I had to like market into there. So we'd go in, we'd hold a round table where we'd have a, you know, key industry leaders, which would be discussing a problem within the industry and trying to resolve it and come to us kind of, you know, steer some of the um, legislation around mm -hmm. it to try and fix it. So a lot of it was a lot more technical, a lot more, less about marketing as such and more about influence and, and uh, industry expert presenting kind of style. Okay. So obviously because of that and you've got this prestige because you're doing all these things, it then obviously drove the marketing and people to come to you because you became a trusted. So you not so much marketed, well, you also had to market your services, but you had to market your expertise. in. Yeah, so I had to, so we'd, we'd roll out, you know, the experts with internally as well. So like we had, you know, scientists, engineers, we had all these, you know, seniors and we'd we'd roll them out essentially. They'd go do a CPD presentation, which is which is basically continued personal development. Mm -hmm. um, so if you go to an event, you might sometimes see people on the stage, and you'd go and it'd be like a CPD, and it'd allow you to have your your credits that you need towards making sure that you're always keeping up to date with the industry. Mm -hmm. We'd do uh, white papers on industry issues, and we'd use them, and they'd write them. So it wouldn't ever be us writing them because we're not technical. We yeah. wouldn't know, we're not trained. Uh, so they would write that and then we'd just get that exposure that way. We'd make sure it goes out into the, the right channels. So it was a bit different. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds very, very different. Mm -hmm. in, in about marketing events then? Completely different. That's consumer. So if you think, the, so what you'll hear is um, B2B, B2C. Yeah. And that basically means business to business and business to consumer. Consumers are also referred to as end users. So the way that you have to market to that is, is you've not got a middleman that you try to impress with your prestige or anything like that. You try to convince someone this is something they want to go to. This is something they want. Uh, so I actually organised having Planet Rock, which is a radio station, I don't know if you've heard of them, uh, host a day mm -hmm. at the event. And they provided us with five pretty decent acts. So they provided the music. So it's like, come along to this because you've, you've got this going on. Uh, plus, obviously, the beer. So it's not just about going to drink. It's about the experience and the atmosphere and just that that memory building um so you had to kind of make sure that you weren't just doing one thing so it's kind of going you want to come to this and you want to spend this money because you've got all this and you'll remember this and look at all these people that had fun last year so it's completely different type of marketing you try to kind of convince someone that this is something they want to do you've got to find out what you've got that's unique and you know and believe in your product is the other thing so i really like using our current product because it's made my life so much easier as a marketeer <laughs> there's no more excel spreadsheets in my life i'm really happy <laughs> i say these things about microsoft they made excel and they made yep. vs code and i think that's like their greatest contributions i don't like anything else <laughs> excel is really good but it's got its places it's not for everything and no. especially for the way Keeping data all to, all in one place, uh, making sure you know not anybody can just go in edit this bit and then something else is out of date and oh, oh it's 
awful. Yeah, it really is. And it's just like, you never, if you're in Excel, you never got the most up-to-date information because it depends when you download it. That's true. And that's one of the greatest pet peeves I had at pretty much every company I was at. Didn't have the ability to, for me to be able to report in system. And get that real-time... Real time, and I know I'm sell- sounding like I'm selling our product, but I'm not. It's it's legit. It's just like I had to pull out the stuff to then analyze it and compare, and you know, do V lookups, you know, macros and everything else like that, just to see and get the information out of it that I needed, which then obviously instantly became out of date because the business is open. Mm. <laughs> it's just like it's it's gonna change. This is not correct. I could take a snapshot. So actually, when I when I saw the job advert for for here, I actually went. Oh, that's a product I could use. I wonder if I can convince them to get them at my current place. <laughs> so we're using a system that just didn't have any type of report. And I had so many Excel spreadsheets. It was ridiculous. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid well and truly. <laughs> I totally understand you because I think the same thing. In my previous job, like I said, I was in usability uh, research. And that's when I, I understood that I really liked playing with data. When I saw the job ads for this one, when I when I joined our company, I'm like, we need to use pan intelligence. Like this, this is the type of thing that would make analysis so much easier. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's definitely something that makes life a lot easier. And sometimes mm. finding those kind of tools do save you so much time, especially when you're in market and you don't have that much time. Mm-hmm. You still need to do it, so you have to do this toss up of what's worth it. Me sitting down and doing the analysis and using that time to do that so I can improve my stuff or just get the stuff done. Mm-hmm. Like having the path and learn nothing and not improve really and hope to God it's still going to work. And that unfortunately is a toss-up in marketing sometimes. Is do I improve and look and take the time or do I just get it out because I've got deadlines and I've got targets to meet and I have to get people through the door? I think that's common in everywhere. Do you make something better? Do you get rid of your, you know, in the software world, we have this concept of tech debt, which is the thing that you introduce so you can get something out the door, but then you have to pay it later. And if you don't yeah. pay it, it grows and grows and gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I think that exists mostly everywhere. And sometimes it's convincing the other people who are not in your department, why should I spend this effort in you know not producing anything of value? I think it's a struggle that exists everywhere, I guess. Yeah, it does. But I, I think... You know, uh, you haven't mentioned this, like the concept of the funnel, uh, but the, uh, but the thing is, how do you tie someone who is somewhere along the top of the funnel did this purchase? So just to explain to anybody that doesn't know what the funnel is, the funnel is basically the customer journey. It's where they've come in, they've heard about you at the top and they're kind of going, oh, you seem interesting. And then they'll start to come down now. Some of them will filter out because they're not either ready for our product yet or they're not the right customer, like they might be an end user so we could direct them to one of our partners. There might, there might be several reasons why they might leave the funnel. And that's where basically why the funnel kind of principle comes in because it then narrows down at the bottom. If you don't track at the top, you're not going to know at the bottom. The best way to do that is obviously have an understanding of where they're coming from. So that's why I was saying like some of the stuff I can't account for unless I have the sales guys input when they're speaking to the customer where, you know, there's certain things I can't track, you know, like advertisement, PR, I can't really track that, but I know we're having a positive impact because if someone mentions it or the guy say, oh yeah, I saw an article about you, 
or if we suddenly see an influx when the article goes out, we can kind of account and go, well, that was when we did that activity. You can broadly see the numbers change. Like we did this yeah. around this time and these numbers are up or these numbers are down. So- yeah. So this is where the analysis of your data comes in again is mm. look at where your sales are, your trafficking, your leads, you know, the interest levels. If we, if we suddenly see a spike for a week because we've had a PR piece going out um, and it's got picked up and it's been, you know, in key magazines or key publications or they've done a newsletter thing with it in, we can account logically that to that activity. So that correlation sounds like it's easier for fast sales. But if you've got something that has... Which is uh, where you're relying on your sales for the longer burn. And that's where you're relying later down the line where we actually have contact with them to ask them where they're heard. When obviously sales calls are going on, sometimes that doesn't get asked. There are obviously other stuff that we can track, you know, like emails we can track in, we can digital adverts, you know, because they click and you can see where they clicked from, you can see what they've done, PPC, uh, which is pay-per-click, which is you actually put, when you sometimes Google, you see at the top, like, uh, sponsored like an ad mm-hmm. uh, so you can track all of that and in our system we obviously have that accounted to the lead and then that goes through to the opportunity which then allows us to doesn't matter how long from that point to that point mm-hmm. we can still account it backwards so that's basically how you kind of see where your ROI is and that's the importance of sitting down and looking at your data because if something is not going all the way through the funnel and actually converting after you know in normal time to market would be then you kind of you're putting money into something that's not getting you the right quality of leads. You need short, mid and long term goals because your sales aren't gonna be that quick. So we deliberately do and review everything every three months. Okay. Because it gives us enough time to get them through the funnel, enough to know where they're at, what's working, what's not, where we're losing the drop off. And it also means that we're not spending too much budget because we're only sending spending three months of a budget. And we can because of what we're doing, we can instantly change very quickly. Spend. I think I understand what you're saying. So to find out if you're getting a good return on investment, you can't just uh, you know press F five all the time on the thing. No, nope. you need to have a plan. Yep. But also, it sounds like basically you need to track everything. Mm-hmm. You know, have a a good a good way to analyze all that information. Yep. So okay, I, I thought it was harder to understand the ROI. Yeah. So certain channels will cost you more. For less you can you can bid on like uh google you can do like a phrase or a word in so keywords uh, mm-hmm. bidding but depending on the keyword it could cost you an absolute fortune right so there's certain channels that will cost more so if you're losing your budget even though you know a certain thing will work you don't have the budget to put it into that so it's not about you're not going to show the roi they may just be taking longer to get through the funnel and slash or we don't have enough budget to go into the market that we want to go into in the channel that we want to go to. Or it's sometimes... Other pressures, yeah. Other pressures that might be coming into it. So there's so many variables. But again, like I said, that's part of the challenge of marketing. You know, you've got to... Using tricks and shall we speak to this magazine and see if they want to collab with us because they're really good and it's someone that would be really useful for us and see if we can get a deal with them. So we can spend that money but for half the price but still have a major impact. Yeah, trying to get, I'm not going to say paid for your marketing, but, you know, spend less. And you, I, knew this, I knew this guy who used to say that the best marketing isn't one that you paid for. It's one that somebody else paid for or that yeah. somebody is paying you for. And he did that through events, like a lot of yeah. events that other companies paid to attend. 
So he basically yep. got free marketing uh, and sometimes even got paid to do it. Yeah, it's true. If the best marketing is the stuff you don't pay for. Hmm. And that's a game where it comes down to prestige, uh, confidence in product and company. And it's it's one of those things you get as you're, you grow as a company. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Right, we, we, I think we, we stay talking about marketing for a long time it's it's stuff I didn't know I asked some things I'm curious and I, I use I use these these talks to find out more stuff about it's the fine. things that I don't know so you, you mentioned quite a few things you went from teaching art to a, a sales job and then to marketing in one area to marketing in another area to marketing in another area it feels like you're starting over all the time does it feel like starting over or it's it's not because i'm still in marketing it's not really starting over okay so i get bored fast right i'm one of these people that i won't stick around and just you know i won't just cash a paycheck mm-hmm. i like to get my teeth into stuff so like you mentioned earlier about the uh, the journey you know the customer journey at the moment one of the projects that i'm actually getting a second is actually I'm, I'm reviewing and improving throughout the entire funnel at the moment so i'm actually getting nitty-gritty into that so that's something for me to get my teeth into so a lot of the reasons why I've moved is because I've got bored. <laughs> I understand you. So it's not starting over as such. It's something new for me to learn. It's, as you know, I, I go into SQL things, which obviously help me with other stuff, but it's because I get to learn something. I get to understand something. I can then go, I can utilize this in X, Y, and Z and make my life more interesting. Mm-hmm. And obviously improve and do better for the company, obviously. <laughs> Just putting that in there, just in case anybody's listening. Uh, <laughs> but if I basically then start repeating, so the reason why I left the events was because it was basically a carbon copy mm. the year after, and I was just like... I could I automate mean. this. Yeah, you, you don't need me. Mm. I'm bored, I'm out. <laughs> That's really bad. But that is that is kind of how I work. And that's the reason why I like Planning Challenges, because it's growing and it's really willing to make improvements and try new stuff it's actually really interesting because it's keeping me interested repeatedly because i'm i'm getting my teeth stuck into new stuff so starting again makes you feel excited because it's something new moving to a new industry it made me excited because it was something new to learn that's a personal thing to me it wasn't like i restarted from like when i went from teaching How, how was that by the way because it's something completely different jarring in all honesty I, I don't do well with office politics. Okay. I'm not a person that plays it. From going from teaching where you, you have some going on, but not really. And then to go into an office space where it was very cliquey, had a lot of that going on. It was very jarring to have to have to report to seniors, to see all the stupid games being played, you know, people getting rewarded for not doing anything. It, it was a shock, in all honesty. <laughs> Yeah, I but it was understand. one of those things of put up and shut up or do something about it and that's kind of where I then moved into the market where I went right I'm going to learn something that can help me get out of this situation and then I just happened to stumble across marketing you mentioned earlier you mentioned earlier something about your mum 25 and out yes yeah. so because you obviously were an art teacher and changing you know something completely obviously when you went with that role that you were working with your sister as well so I think that might have helped so maybe you know, the people around you wouldn't think that was like such a bad thing to do, like changing from teaching art to do a sales and then later marketing. Uh, family. So we, we the reason why we've got the 25 hour and out thing is my mum's always driven us for Korea. Mm. 
even if that means changing. So my mum herself has actually changed roles several times. So this change for my family isn't unusual for us to kind of go, if you're not enjoying something, change. As long as you're enjoying yourself, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, but it's for a paycheck, well, why, why are you doing that? My family's mindset is probably slightly different to most people's <laughs> in that sense. So me changing from teaching to sales to marketing didn't really blink an eye as such. They knew the marketing was the better fit for me than sales was. But in terms of the actual changing of jobs, they're just long, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. Because let's be honest, we do more hours working than you do not. That is true. Even if you're not actively working, you come home, you're still thinking about work stuff. You're in the shower and you're thinking, oh, I could do this in that way. So work always creeps into your life. Yeah. So you, you better enjoy it. This is it. You best enjoy it. Otherwise, it's going to be very dull. I was going to ask you if, if you ever thought about going back to teaching, but it sounds like you're so much in love with, with marketing. Um, I joked about this with you earlier. Uh, <laughs> about the plan. Um, so, yeah, if, if I can't keep up with all the technology that's moving forward, teaching might be my backup plan in terms of retirement. You know, go be... And this isn't to belittle anybody doing the job, but might go do TA or something like that or teach, you know, further education in, you know, marketing or something like that so they can get the experience of it. But, yeah, um, at the moment, it's not the plan. I'm actually really happy doing what I'm doing. And for me to say that is saying something, I'm actually really enjoying what I'm doing. I'm, in, I'm nearly two years at Pan Intelligence, so... Mm. Yeah, I know how happy you are. You adamantly refuse my, my advances to get you into development. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm quite interested to learn. I just don't want to move. It, it, the thing that I like about doing this these chats is I always feel so excited by whatever the other person is doing because they talk about those things with a passion and it makes me like fired up. I'm like, oh, my, maybe I want to try this next. You follow, come on. We'll give you a taste of this. <laughs> it's appreciation of what someone else is working on. So like yeah. you said earlier about, you know, with the colouring in department, which I know is just a small joke because I know who it is that's saying it. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't mean it by, by anybody who's listening. Doesn't mean it. It doesn't Trust mean me, it. I know. But it's that, it's kind of like until you can speak and you can, you know, do these kind of chats or go into the department, you can't always appreciate the, the stress. I mean, poor sales guys who get, you know, telephone voicemails oh my god <laughs> you can't appreciate what what the other person actually has to put up with until you do it or see it yourself so i think it's definitely you know if you do have the opportunity to do it get into another department just to just to sit and have a nosy and just appreciate what actually goes into something mm. so instead of just going oh couldn't you just do insert item here yeah you can realize that it's not just do this and that's for everybody's department you know it doesn't matter what you're doing it's never just could you yeah <laughs> i think it's something very very easy to forget my last question is have you got some advice to get into maybe art teaching or sales or marketing roles have you got any advice for anybody who wants to do any of that marketing don't focus just on digital is my first advice. There's a lot of people that have just done that. So the market's going to be harder to get into, you know, if you do have the chance to just get some experience because companies will, especially marketing departments, will give work experience days quite happily because they usually need the help. So if you are interested, you know, find a company that kind of like the ethos for, or, you know, if you're kind of interested or something like that, 
and I'd say maybe do that for several different types of companies. So you know, like you know, B two B, B two C, and some that might just do print because that might be an interesting thing for you to to learn. So ask for work experiences days if you can get them. It's not too late to get into marketing. It's never too late. Don't think, oh, I don't have that skill set because I've been in sales for the such. You've got an actual insight there into the market mm. that a marketeer might not have because you've dealt with them. You've dealt with the questions. You've dealt with the complaints. You've dealt with all of that. So you do have transferable skills and knowledge. Other than that, it's just like, you know, apply, try, go for it, you know, get stuck in. You know, the only way you're going to learn if you don't like it or you don't want to do it is by doing it. Yeah, that's very true. So that's that's probably what I'd say there. In terms of teaching, there's a lot of avenues you can go down. It uh, depends which one's going to suit you best. There's ones where you can do your actual degree, where it's a teaching degree straight off the bat. You've got the one like I did, which is your PGCE, which you do as a top-up to your degree. PGCE. Uh, PGCE, Postgraduate Certificate in Education. Right, so you, you always need to have a, a degree to be able to teach in a school. Y yeah, basically what they call QTS, which is Qualified Teaching Status. Is what mm -hmm. you need to achieve now certain avenues will allow you certain levels that you can teach at so a pgc uh secondary allows me to teach primary secondary and college okay college is uh, just before university yeah other ones other methods and different things will only allow you to teach within that space so some of them will only allow you to teach in primary school for example so you can there's also avenues where you can teach while you're learn to teach while you're doing the job so you can actually get paid doing it as well i think which might be the easy way for people that might not have the time to you know just purely go to uni basically i know they're doing a drive at the moment the government always does a drive so maybe have a look on uh getting to teaching or just teaching i think it is called or something like that and just find out what avenues you've got available and see what you want to do uh, i would probably say you know try to get an experience day in a school first just make sure it is something you want to do. Sales, go for the interview, apply for the job, go for it. I, I usually find sometimes getting into a sales job is easier. Know that you're going to have to be chatty, um, charismatic. You've got to be able to present yourself over a phone or in person uh, in a friendly manner and, you know, in a helpful manner. You can't lose your patience. You've got to be calm, even when you've got someone effing and blinding it. Just be calm, say, we don't have to tolerate that. Just know that you're going to have to present yourself a little bit nicer than you might usually, and it will be a little bit draining. Just go for it. For any of them, just give it a shot. Most people I talk to, that's what they say. Just go for it. Do you have anything else you want to say? Yeah, no, no. Otherwise, you know, this is just my experience. Yours might be completely different. That's the only thing I'd say. And uh, with that, I'll, I'm, I'm just going to thank you. Thank you very much. I, I, I really enjoy, really enjoyed this chat. No problem. All right. Cheers, Steve. Goodbye, everybody. See you on the next episode.